This is the full interview from a segment from the Overdrive radio and podcast program. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. When I think of record prices at auctions for classic cars, I think of the exotic, the very rare, and perhaps those with provenance for the vehicle. Now, typically, this has been things to me like Ferraris and here in Australia, our 1970s muscle cars. But as time passes, what is bubbling to the surface in terms of collectible cars? Well, Collecting Cars Australia, the online auction house, is an item that might get a huge figure but is based on a more perhaps familiar model. Rich Fowler is the General Manager of Collecting Cars in Australia, and he joins us on the line now. Rich, uh, thanks very much for your time. What are you selling in this case? Hi, David. Lovely to be back. In this case, we've got a 1998 Subaru Impreza WRX22B. It's the 22B part that makes it special. In what way? Because we've seen some WRXs out here. They have a, a great image. But what, what makes the 22B so special? Well, the 22B was special because it um, was a, a low-volume car, a specialist car made by, by Subaru to celebrate their third year, the third consecutive year of winning the team's manufacturer's championship in rallying. So they won in 95, 96, and 97, the, the team's championship. And, of course, Colin McRae won the driver's championship in 1995 in, in, uh, in Pretzer. And so this, this car was specially built to commemorate their, their success through the mid-90s. So they only made 425 of them, so that's what makes them special. Do they look special on the outside? They do to uh, the collectors. They are slightly different. So firstly, they're they're made on the the two-door bodywork, which was probably the coolest looking of all the the Impressors because, as you know, most of them were based on the four-door variant. So the two-door was built, you know, homologated especially for railing. So I think it looks pretty cool that it's a coupe. And it also came with the flares um, from the from the World Rally car, as well as a special bumper, including some uh, you know some Rally Specialist driving lights and some STI branding. So it is differentiated from all the other all the other Subarus, and that's again part of the reason why uh, collectors love them. A classic car doesn't have to be outrageously looking different from perhaps, if I may use the expression, the more base models, but. As you said, perhaps to the collector, there's like a fine wine. It's nice to know that a collector can pick the difference. That's right. It's um, it's all about rarity, as you know. And, of course, most cars are also about having a great story. And, you know, the story of Subaru through the through the mid-'90s is rallying is a great story. It helped position the brand, um, particularly here in Australia, about being rugged. Um, and they were all four-wheel drives. And then they had that classic blue and gold livery. Uh, so it is a golden period of, of motorsport and um, a little brand, you know, punching above its weight in the World Rally Championship. So it has a special place in the heart of those those collectors. It was that quintessential example of almost David and Goliath, where the, the everyday, but with clever technology, a turbocharge and all-wheel drive that was available to everybody, but was perfected in the rally sense. It was really that revolution in both image and, and engineering that this represents. That's right. It is the the peak of Japanese, uh, you know, rallying engineering, and it really did flow through to the road cars. I mean, Subarus, particularly of that era, and they still are, are tough. Um, you know, they're they're reliable, they're hardworking, 
but as you said, when you add a few uh, technical aids and some big power, so this one had a 2.2-litre turbocharged engine, and obviously had, had a bit more power. This one obviously had a bit more suspension work and a few other tweaks. Um, it is the pinnacle of, you know, Jap engineering at the time. And as we've seen, um, you know, young people loved those cars at the time, and that's now what collectors want. Young people loved them at the time. I suddenly feel a little old here, Rich. I do remember those days. It was also then something that really gave great credence to the World Rally Championship. You know, a lot of it was also to do with, to do with Colin McRae and the explosion of, of video gaming around the world at that time with rallying. Yeah. So, you know, you had um, video games called Colin McRae Rally 3 and suddenly you had this, you know, a, a global interest in it. And McRae was so flamboyant and so spectacular that that also really helped embed in the heart of the, the collectors what this Subaru stood for. It's like the, the Rothmans Porsches that ran at Le Mans in the, in the, in the mid-80s. Just that combination of delivery and what those and, and the winning, and this is the same the same type of car for rallying, and it was for the video generation. You know, it's just it's what they what we what we used to consume. And now this video generation has made money on dot coms and that. What sort of price are you thinking about for this vehicle? We're hoping it will fetch around uh, 300, 300, somewhere between three hundred and three fifty Australian dollars. Jeez, see that's the equivalent of. Perhaps not the top of the line Monaro, and but not a GTHO, but certainly a good example of a rare Monaro in Australian terms. Will you get a lot of, or most of, or the only bids from Australia, or do you think it'll go around? Uh, you'll get bids from around the world. Yeah, no, we're, we're obviously a global platform, and so we do have uh, bidders from from all around the world. And and, and yes, to your point. It could go anywhere. We're also we're seeing a lot of interest in these types of cars uh, from America recently. They've got a, a law now where I think cars over 25 years of age of this spec can can be imported into America and registered. They didn't have these things off the shelf. None were delivered to the to America. We only had five of these cars um, actually delivered to Australia. Uh, this particular one's an import out of the 425 they they built. So it could go anywhere. It depends where the collector is. I think um, one sold in the states for close to six hundred thousand US. Oh. That's a couple of years ago at the at the peak. That's the world record for a twenty two B. Is that six hundred thousand US? Correct. That's the that's the current world record price for for one of these. And this it was a, a super low example with a couple of hundred kilometers. So how many kilometers has this one got? Yeah, 71,000. So, you know, this one's been driven and been enjoyed. Um, and so that's why we think, you know, around that that number. We've sold a couple on collecting cars. We've sold one, um, actually this this car previously, first time round for, for 360. It's come back on the come back on the block. Obviously the owner's hoping for, for something more, but we think it's in that 300 to 350 range. The fact that it's got some kilometers on it, does that detract? Of course. In in terms of versus, you know, the value of the, the highest ever ever sale, mm. collectors obviously want, you know, the cars with the, the tightest provenance, you know, delivered to their country with the lowest possible kilometres with, you know, logbooks and, and the whole thing. So, yeah, the, the lower the kilometres, the higher the price, and then, you know, it goes from there. What do you think that means in terms of the future and what may come online? Is it going to have to relate to racing events that are doing well at the time or 
What does it tell us about classic cars in the future, do you think? Given that the Subaru had a, a lot of everyday models out there of similar, if not the same shape. So the future? I think what I've discovered from my time in collecting, David, is that people need to fall in love. They need to have had some sort of experience that moved them with that car in the period, on that period of their life. And for whatever reason, there's some makes and models and particular cars that um, people love more than others. And it generally does have a motorsport context. Um, some sort of reflection of a motorsport event has the halo over the, over the car. And that's just what we see people fall in love you know, with lots of cars that aren't fantastic but look fantastic. Let's take 70s Alfa Romeos or 80s Alfa Romeos, for example. Mm. Beautiful looking cars. They're still super popular with collectors today. They weren't the best thing on the road. They, they rusted and they were, you know, a little bit unreliable, but people still love them. So they've remained a, a fan favourite. And you add that intoxication of, of motor racing success and Colin McRae and it's um, it's even more attractive and of course the Japanese cars were also super reliable and you can rebuild them you know you know it's not like going to buying an old Ferrari V12 and taking it down to the, the Ferrari specialist and getting a $60,000 bill for a, for a quick rebuild you know you can um, maintain the Subarus and the performance is always going to be there so that appeals to collectors too because they're they're a great driver's car you can drive this thing every day so it's a balance between that the Ferrari $60,000 is to change the spark plugs something like that you mentioned the word love perhaps there might be a link there in terms of one's initial experiences which were sometimes in cars rather than the embarrassment of going home to the family home, that uh, perhaps there are other motives there as well? Well, I guess we could say that the Holden Sandman has proven that uh, those types of fantasies uh, you know, are still popular. So when does this go to auction? The 9th of June, and it will end the following week, so it'll be up, up for seven days for bidding. You mentioned Alfa Romeo. We recently did some social media on what's the collective term for Alfa Romeos, and one was an oxidation of Alphas, which the GTV 1750 is a beautiful little car. It's not going to get those record prices, yet we'll get much more than they originally cost. That's right. We're selling the 1750s, you know, for anywhere from forty-five to 80000 oh. plus, depending on, again, depending on the spec, depending on how they've been loved or restored and everything in between. But, again, that just shows you a, a classic shape with a great-sounding motor and a beautiful little motor. And it's not even a fast car, but it's a fun car. And I think that's, you know, what we're all looking for as motoring enthusiasts is, you know, how do we have fun? Um, what's, what does fun equal? Is there a difference there between those that want bling and those that want character, even if it's sub subdued character or even it's not sort of in-your-face design? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's always, this is the joy of, again, I think the joy of motoring that you'd, you'd agree, Dave, and the joy of collecting is that, you know, everybody has a different thing that they like about certain cars. Um, some people like their bling, some people like their understated. We know old Kerry Packer used to like his sleepers, you know, he used to like them standing, but underneath they were rocket chips. Some people like, you know, put big wings on them and be ostentatious. It's just, it's kind of the fun of life that everyone likes it slightly different.
Definitely. The Subaru, I presume, has the SDI. There has that big wing on the back, doesn't it? it? Does have a wing, but it's you know it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's ostentatious. Again, I think it's aged aged beautifully. Yeah. Two door. It looks it looks quick. It looks purposeful. Um, but it's not too it's not too wild. I wouldn't say. I think it'll age better than a um, Honda Civic uh, Type R. That's uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Which often looks a bit quirky rather than purposeful. I think. Yeah. I remember driving an SDI years ago. Parked it in the street. A young fella looked at the front of it and got a bit excited, but rushed to the back to make sure that it had that wing on the back, which wasn't, as you say, ostentatious, but it just proved a point. That's right. I differentiated it from the road car and, and, and let everybody know that it was, was, was quick and something different. I hopped into the older version of the STI. There's now the, the latest WRX, and the STI is not a hotter version. It's just a bit of bling around the outside. But I hopped into the old version before the new one came out and there was an endorphin rush there was a memory there was a feeling of little fella me sitting in a car that wasn't huge and big and wet but really punched above its weight yeah i think that's part of you know maybe also also they've been popular in australia it's a kind of australian thing too right to like the like the underdog style of style of car and it is it is the sort of uh david and goliath type of thing that that thing really can go you know the road version we're talking about—the one for sale—can can obviously outrun just about anything on the on the road through the twisty bits. And I think people people like that. And another part of the collecting is, to your point, that time that time warp feeling—the feeling that you get in a, in a '90s Japanese car—it has a certain feeling. Like a '70s Monaro has a certain feeling and a certain smell. It's those it's those feelings that are, that are evocative. The Subaru is not a blingy interior. It's fairly fairly functional but it's it's sporting and but it feels like a 90s car it's peak 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 japanese 90s big turbos you know four wheel drives you know small bodies it was it was pretty pretty cool here well having rallied it had that rawness about it that you didn't burden it down with a whole pile of fluffy luxury you had that certain elementary basicness about it that was nothing was superfluous to performance that's right you're right and it came comes to include everything including the switch gear and anyone can jump into that thing and just drive it and drive it hard you don't need to to flick your traction control mode and your uh you know your launch control and put it in mode c and any of that sort of stuff you just switch her on and put her in gear and dump it and have a have a good time. So that that appeals too. I mean, that's not everybody wants to press a thousand buttons, and we don't really need them. So I think that's why it's a classic. Jeez, you've just raised a big issue there. That and the modern car now, I'm getting a parameter in road testing of how long you've got to sit quietly without moving and almost go through the fighter pilot routine of what you turn on, what you turn off, what you do. And even then, when you do them sometimes and turn the car off and on again, well, then you've got to go back to square one. Yeah. There was something about that freedom of cars that you jumped in and went. That's it. And one thing we haven't spoken about in the context of rallying, David, is the lever of fever. <laughs> the manual handbrake is what I mean. I drive a, you know, I've got a Volkswagen R36 wagon. It's got an electric handbrake. It's no good for handbrake turns. <laughs> Whereas I can tell you the, um, you know, the Subi of its day, you know, that's part of the, you know, how do you stop it? How do you make it pivot? You pull the lever of fever. You know, we don't even have them in modern cars. You know, all those kids missing out on 
you know, the ability to, to spin a car around in a, in a single lane, none of that exists in these modern things. I once raced, stick with me here, I once raced a Prius and it had a foot handbrake. And so I tried to work out how I could do a handbrake turn and what you had to do was click it on one click just as you're approaching, doesn't do anything really to slow it. But then when you approach it, you hit the thing and let it go and it went off, of course. But if you didn't do that thing, it stayed on. You pushed down and locked on. But I must confess, doing a handbrake turn in a Prius didn't help much. No, but you know, as a rally man, I mean, the handbrake is actually, you know, one, literally one of your one of your tools to, to to drive the car, like the throttle or or the steering wheel. It's it's something you need to know how to use use correctly, and it's a real it's a skill. It's a forgotten skill. We should bring back handbrake turns for sure. Scandinavian flicks and handbrake turns, yeah, all those things. Yeah. Yeah, I still think it's about you know the the, the combination of deliveries, the winning. Uh, the shape, and we'll continue to see that in collecting. It's a classic of its day. We're not going to make any more of them. So, uh, you know, collectors are prepared to part with the big bucks, and let's hope they do on next week. Rich, lovely to talk to you. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you, David. You too. And that's Rich Fowler, who is the General Manager of Collecting Cars Australia, the online auction house, which have a major event coming up, which includes a very rare Subaru WRX STI 22B. Overdrive is a radio and podcast program featuring road tests, interviews and features on motoring and transport. More information is available at drivenmedia.com.au and podcasts on Spotify or iTunes.